This is an energy sport podcast. Insightful, in-depth and entertaining sports content from Napier to you. This is the Football Roundup, energy sport's longest running football show. Each week our team of football writers and podcasters deliver their views on the weekend's action from Scotland, England and the wider world of football. With our panel bringing knowledge, insight and passion, you can be rest assured of quality from each episode of the Football Roundup. Hello and welcome back to the Football Roundup, Energy Sports' longest-running football show. Need to put our apologies in early doors for the for the absence over the past couple of weeks. It's been a very busy time for the troops here at Energy Sport, but we're happy to be back this week. Since we were last on, there's been the best Scotland performance in ages. Hilarious refereeing up here. Managerial changes and air have continued to be utterly, utterly awful. So not much has changed, in all honesty. Uh, today we've got two cup semi-finals, some league sense action and big Barclays to get through before a wee preview of the Scotland draw on Friday. We'll not go too much in depth onto that though because we'll imagine that they'll get onto it more on Thursday's edition of Extra Time. Uh, I am of course Jack Donnelly, happy to be back as always and I'm even happier to be joined by three fine gentlemen here today in this uh, clean feed call on a grey Monday in Edinburgh. Uh, starting off... We've got the man himself, Mr. Struan Garvey, who is slowly making his way back to the capital city. How are you, mate? I'm not bad at all. I am coming soon. Currently in Stirling, as it, as we speak, and it is it's not too grey. Some blue peeking through the uh, peeking through the sky, but it's um it's mostly cloudy today. It's a vintage Struan Garvey weather update. We've not had one of them in a while, you know. No, it'd be the final one in Stirling as well. So. Oh, the final one in Stirling ever. He's never going back. Nah. So did you move? Did you move in at the weekend, or are you st- are you still to properly properly move in? Uh, I moved stuff through over the weekend, but I am still to properly move in. There's still no <laughs> Wi-Fi set up. That is the absolute fear. You can't be having that. So can't wait for Struan Garvey to have a massive, massive energy sport flat party in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. He's muted himself, so we're not getting an answer out of him. Lovely. I thought that was just a statement. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It was, a, question, it was a statement, was a statement not a question. <laughs> good, good to know that's still festering about in the Patter Bank. Uh, also joining us today, Mr. Graham Sinclair. Graham, how are you doing today, mate? Yeah, life's good. Have you, oh, lovely, just clattered in the microphone. That's going to sound great on the audio. Oh, sorry, I was scratching the back of my head. Scratching the back of your head. Life's good, you say, though? Aye, obviously. Obviously, and there's nothing to dissuade that uh, notion at all. We definitely won't be getting onto anything that might have... Made that happiness a bit stunted yesterday, but uh, not necessary. No, I'm sorry. Uh, not happy. Happy to have you as always. It's always a pleasure spending time with you, Graham. You know that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> He's really not in a good mood. It. And uh, also joining us today, uh, fresh off a trip to Hamden yesterday, Callum Watt. Callum, how are you doing today, mate? Delighted. Yeah, still on a high from yesterday, and first time on here. What better time to to come on? And I feel like we picked the best uh, possible time for you to come on. I mean, Hibs were in the semi-final and Ollie getting sacked. I mean, can't can't be much happier for you at the moment. Not really, exactly. And Scotland last week, so it's been a decent, a decent seven days. Yeah. Yeah, the perfect time to be a journalism student named Callum Watt. So it's a it's a very niche group of people that are experienced that same <laughs> level of happiness. But more power to them, I suppose. Uh, exactly. Of course, we do start uh, the football roundup with a big question, and uh, obviously both Celtic and Hibs qualified for the Premier Sports Cup final over the weekend. So the big question is going to be centred around cup finals, but arguably the biggest two in the world are the Champions League final and the World Cup final. So simply, I don't think we've answered this on this show before, I really hope we haven't. Uh, which would you rather have? Would you rather win the Champions League with your club or win the World Cup with your country? Graham, you said before when I posed this question to you that it was an easy answer. Would you would you like to reveal that answer just now? I think it's pretty obvious to me at least that it's Scotland winning the World Cup because, like, you saw. I think I think actually I think last year I'd say asked me this time I probably said the opposite. Uh, but just like the feel, like the feeling that the Euros gave the country and the atmosphere from last weekend's uh, last week's win against Denmark, I just like. There is no feeling like that, I don't think. We've got an entire country that are all mm. kind of bonding over the one thing. Everyone gets together and the atmosphere is amazing. I imagine if we won the World Cup, we'd go on a bender for a fucking week. I, I, the country would generally shut down. Like it would, oh, just give me that. 
I just, oh, I don't think I'd like, I think I'd just be in the streets for a week, just like, then, oh, it used to be amazing, Can't, oh, let it happen. Let it, let it happen. Uh, Struan, how about yourself? I mean, oh, I, I'm, I'm kind of posing this question more towards your, your Scottish club more than, more than an English club, because it's less likely that your Scottish club's going to win a Champions League, but uh, are you in the same mind as Would you prefer Scotland win a World Cup, or would you want to see Hibs lift that big ear trophy? on a European night away in split or something like that? I think Graham's spot on, to be honest. I think when you look at the atmosphere around Scotland winning these games, just qualifiers alone, getting to the Euros, it's been fantastic. And whenever you win a cup competition, there's always you know multiple fans who are unhappy and there's always digs and stuff like that. But when it's Scotland, I maybe sound a bit cringy here, but it's just everybody's together, everybody's celebrating the same team. You know, we're all... We're all buzzing, we're all high on emotions at the time, and the World Cup's every four years as well. Do you know it's it's just a much bigger occasion. You just you can't miss a World Cup final, can you? You could easily mm. go without watching the old Champions League game or even the old Champions League final here or there. But the World Cup is just it's the pinnacle of football, to be honest. Pinnacle of sport, you might argue as well. I mean, when you look at the broadcasting numbers, you would definitely argue that that is the case. Callum, how about yourself? I mean, you, you think you think of the most famous nights in Hibs history. I mean, you think. Ed, uh, David Gray lifting that trophy at Hamden back in 2016. I mean, would you want something similar with the, with the Champions League trophy or are you hoping for a John McGinn lifting a World Cup come the winter of 2022? Um, well, ideally it'd be John McGinn lifting the Champions League, but that ship sailed a while ago. <laughs> um, but no, nah, I think for me, Hibs winning the Champions League, just club football, I think still is the pinnacle. That's what you, you support that week in, week out. Scotland, up until recently, was always a bit of a distraction. Fair enough, it's much, much better now, and we look forward to international breaks. But, nah, I think Hibs, if Hibs won the Champions League, however unlikely that is, it would just be something special. It's hard, it's hard to argue against you. I mean, senior team, especially a more provincial team like Hibs, are, I mean, in my, in my case, if there would ever be a, a, the, the tiniest shred of a hope of a glimmer of a possibility that Air United would one day get into the Champions League or get into the top flight to potentially compete for a Champions League place, then I would bite your hand off for it because at the moment, as I said in my original intro spiel, we are utter dog shit at the moment. It would just be an unimaginable uh, manifestation of events and I think that's why I would want to... that I'd be be back in Scotland, that I would prefer to see Scotland win a World Cup because I think Air getting anywhere near the Champions League is just a thing of pure imagination. There's there's no way that that would ever, ever happen. Certainly not in my lifetime. And I've got maybe another 45, 50 good years left in me. And if, if there's a drastic change, then I would love to see it. But Dave Smith, mate, your, your time's ticking. You need, you need to you need to up the up the ante. You can't just put in a new club shop every now and then. You need to you need to get investment and get, get air back up there. But no, I think... Graham's hit the nail on the head and strewn as well, just the fact that when Scotland have been playing in the last 12 months or so, everyone has come together for it. I remember, I keep I keep banging on about it, I always use this as an example, but the day we qualified for the Euros that night in Serbia, I found out the same day that I had to go into self-isolation for, for 14 days, uh, and I, could, I obviously couldn't go and watch a game with anyone. Of course, I wouldn't have done, because I would have been following uh, lockdown guidelines and all that shite. But it was just that night, sat in my room watching at my telly, and breaking down in tears when uh, when we had actually qualified because I'd never seen that in my life and it was just a sheer outrush of joy. And then I spent the rest of the night until like 2am on the phone at different groups of pals just drinking. It was just that moment that united people across the country, across the nation. And getting to a World Cup and winning the World Cup would do that and make it the messiest state the country's ever seen because it would just be such a massive celebration. So... Give me a Grant Hanley winner in the heat of Qatar against England in the final in 2022, and I will die. I, I, that that will be the end for me. That will be me tapping out because I don't think I don't think life gets better than that. That's potentially one of the saddest things I've ever said. But we'll move on from that uh, because we need to go on to events that might have been sad for Graham, but happy for the other two members of the panel because there were two cup semi-finals played out over the weekend, as I said. And we're going to start with yesterday's Hibernian 3, Rangers 1. Hibs booking themselves a trip back to Hamden next month after the first half hat-trick from Martin Boyle saw off Rangers with their new manager, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, watching on from the stands. Uh, Struan, I'll come to you first. 
just talk me through it. How, how happy were you when this was all playing out? You were actually giving it big licks in the group chat yesterday, which is a rarity from you, considering how pessimistic you tend to be about your teams. But uh, just just a delightful afternoon for you. I know I'm, I'm normally quite laid back with, with these things, but I, I just couldn't believe it, to be honest. I'd come back into the house from a run, and I think I'd missed the first five or ten minutes, and by that point, Hibs, Hibs were doing great. It was it was phenomenal, to be honest. I just I don't have Premier Sports, unfortunately, so I didn't manage to, to watch the whole game, and I, I wasn't at hand in either, unfortunately. But just fantastic, to be honest, coming into this. Obviously, Hibs hadn't played in nearly a month with the COVID-19 outbreak. Prior to that, I think four straight defeats. It was... It was looking pretty bleak, but then at the same time, it was potentially the best time to play Rangers. Obviously, no Gerrard at the time. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst hadn't, well, he'd come in, but he hasn't taken over yet. So it was um, it was a good opportunity, and, and I think Hibs deserved the victory, to be honest. Rangers weren't at it at all mm-hmm. to, to their to their standards, but yeah, pr- pretty phenomenal, to be honest. And Calm, I wanted to touch upon a point that Struan made there. I mean, this was the first game that Hibs had properly, but a first competitive match anyway, uh, that Hibs have played in over a month because of that uh, COVID-19 outbreak. And was that playing on your mind at all when you were making the trip down to Hamden uh, yesterday? Uh, I'd imagine you were going through quite early to get a few a few pre-match refreshments on board, but uh, what was that? Was that a worry at all that Hibs were not going to be as match sharp as they potentially could have been had they had some action over the last month? Or were you just thinking it's a big occasion Hibs could pull through, which might have been a rare thought for a Hibs fan in recent memory? Um, yeah, it was It was definitely on your, on the mind thinking it's been so long and players have been out and obviously with like medical confidentiality, they couldn't tell you who had COVID, so you weren't quite sure who would potentially still be affected or feeling what feeling um the ill effects of it or whatever but nah I think just come yesterday morning that was all out the window and it was just blind optimism that we were going to do it um and yeah we did manage it just not just absolutely hammered them and that was it was the whole it was just everyone around us was just like in utter disbelief mm-hmm. what was it like 38 minutes and we're 3-0 up it's like what is going on it was just it was what a day honestly mental and- Talk to me about the atmosphere inside Hamden because obviously you, you go 3 0 up and then there's a quick response from Scott Arfield and there's whisperings maybe do they Hibs it again? Do they do the Rangers come out in the second half and they just tear through Hibs just looking to prove a point? Was there worries that that was going to happen or were you just caught up in the fact that you'd gone 3 0 up after 38 minutes as you said? It was, yeah, cause I'd miss, I missed like the Rangers goal. I was still, I think I was walking back up to my seat. Um, and then obviously they scored pretty much what was it, like a minute after, two minutes after, mm-hmm. and it was just that sucker punch like, oh god, please no. But then we thought if we just take it to half time, three one, still it's effectively two 0 and everyone was buzzing at that point. Um, and then once we made it to half time, it was just back to being yeah, I think we're gonna gonna manage this. And then obviously after half time, Rangers came out putting us under a bit of pressure, mm-hmm. but. Like obviously it's easy to say now. I just I didn't think we looked like we were going to concede that second half. I just Paul Hanlon, Porteous sweeping everything away. It was just yeah. I thought and from basically sixty minutes I thought why we're doing this. You mentioned a name there, uh, a certain Ryan Porteous. He's got a bit of a contentious history with uh, with Rangers and Rangers fans, and uh, he's kind of stuck the needle in a little bit more. In the in the post match interview, uh, I believe with Kelly Dodds, the same reporter who asked Stephen Gerrard what turned out not to be a stupid question, uh, and he hit with the same response. I mean, I think the best thing about that for me was the fact that his answer just made no sense in uh, response to the question because it just did not warrant. The, Kelly Dodds said nothing in terms of whether, whether they were happy, whether they were settled, and Porteous was that committed to the shithousery that he just hit it with it anyway and I think for me that made it funnier other people definitely didn't find it that way but uh, I think I think by all accounts he had a really good game Callum I suppose, I suppose you were there to kind of see that first and foremost Yeah um, I think it was I've seen it since I think it was his like poor cleadings for Rangers goal um, that so it was his fault for that but yeah other than that generally him and um, Paul Hanlon just pretty rock solid um, but obviously Paul Hanlon was booked like 10 seconds into the game or something 20 mm. seconds in so you're thinking oh god here we go so if that's the captain booked already what's Ryan Porteous who's <laughs> like 
I don't know. It depends how you look at it. I don't think he's too, mm-hmm. but some people say he's got a bit of a um, loose cannon. But yeah, it was just he managed to keep it cool, even though we all know how much he dislikes Rangers. Mm. Speaking of keeping it cool, Graham, I'm going to have to turn it on to yourself at this point because I think if we had Taylor Murray on instead of yourself, he would not be sitting during this Ryan Purchase uh, conversation as calmly. Uh, he would be probably swearing up and down the mic and we probably have to cut it a fair bit of this podcast because of how much he has disdain towards this player. But just talk to me about Rangers yesterday. I know you don't particularly... You weren't particularly wanting to. Yeah, but so just uh, yeah, putting that on a little bit. Yeah, I know. But just talk to what went wrong for Rangers yesterday. I mean, well, I think it's interesting to pick up from where Callum left off with Porter's guy. I thought he was, a, I thought he was excellent yesterday, and fair play, that's some pretty top tier shit house from yesterday. But I felt like he played like a guy that uh, kind of felt like he owed his team one. I think that going back to that game at Ibrox, and was it October or late September? I mean, the game yesterday might be a shock to someone. It's obviously a shock to see Rangers go down three 0 But if Porter's doesn't get sent off in that game. Hibs could well have hammered us that day. It was, they'd got the early goal. Rangers were doing what they digested, but they were passing it around with no penetration. But Hibs were well in control, and it was only the sending off that changed that game. So I do wonder if Portis was like, I cost my team three points that day, so I'm going to make sure that they had them through the mm. cup final. And going by his performance, he certainly did that. I mean, moving on to Rangers, it's kind of the situation is quite simple. Like we, we concede the goal first every time, and if you've got a manager, a proper manager and maybe that manager can find something to tweak and make a change and he'll come back which is what happened but when you've got people in the in that are just interims that are B team coaches or is a first team striker they aren't going to they aren't going to change things tactically they're, they're not that level of coach they're not going to make the changes that get you back into a game the selection we picked was a selection that says we'll go with the guys that tend to be the 11 most reliable we have in each of these positions and hope that we can just we can get an early goal and see, kind of see it out, even though Hubs might bring us some pressure. But that's not the way Rangers have played. The Rangers have played from behind for almost the whole season at this point. It feels like, and yesterday it was just it was killer because it, they couldn't do it because of the tactics were set up. And you were talking about Rangers kind of playing behind a lot of this season already, and you've been making this point for a while on a, on this network and on a number of podcasts. Someone else made very, very similar points to you yesterday. It probably wasn't massively encouraging to hear them come from Connor Goldson himself post-match, saying that the game was done by half-time, we need a spark, we've lost hunger. I mean, what were your thoughts when you first saw that, uh, that post-match interview from Connor Goldson? And, I mean, <laughs> warranted comments, I suppose, but they shouldn't really be coming from one of the biggest underperformers for Rangers yeah, this season. That, that's kind of... I mean, it's two separate comments. I don't really have a huge problem with Conor Goldson saying that they've lost the hunger. That's clear, and at least they can acknowledge it's happening. I don't mind that. But the one about him saying that uh, the game was over at half-time, I just can't believe that he would say that. I mean, Rangers have came back... They came back against Braga in Europa League game two years ago when they were 2 down with like 25 minutes to go. And no offence to Hibs. This is a Hibs team that are coming off a month's break and that are currently I think they're 7th in the league I'll, I'll put them 4th or 5th because of the games in hand they might mm-hmm. win like I, I don't understand how someone can have the mentality that they just simply can't come back yeah. I mean Hibs were excellent yesterday but we just made it so easy for them it was such an easy game there was no like complicated to Hibs games plan it was as simple as we'll put Nisbet in one centre back we'll put Boyle in the other and we'll play long balls forward and we know that we've got Boyle's got the pace and Nisbet's got the strength to hold it up so we're going to get we ain't not win every single one of them but we're going to win our fair share and when we do we'll create chances and Hibs thoroughly deserved their win yesterday I think that's notable and mostly because of the fact that Hibs only had three shots yesterday they only needed three shots and they scored three goals mm-hmm. it was a thoroughly embarrassing display from Conor Golden on the pitch and then some even more thoroughly embarrassing comments off it and given that he's talking about this kind of switching mentality and having lost the game at half time, I mean, you were already speaking about the kind of comeback against Braga last se- earlier this year or last season. I can't remember exactly when it was. I mean, having lost that kind of winning mentality already, just coming into this season, does Van Bronckhorst have a big job on his hands already to try and reinstill that into this squad of players? 
Well, the one thing that's going to be good about it is in Cam alluded to once it hit 60 minutes, I don't think you're going to concede. I don't think it's a coincidence. That probably coincides with the fact that we took off Ryan Kent, who wasn't the best, but it's still Ryan Kent, somebody that can change the game in an instant, and brought in Fashion Zakala. And then we, and then five minutes later, we took off Joe Rebo and Scott Arfield, who are probably our only two of our players that were actually doing anything useful, yeah. and brought on Ryan Jack, a kind of holding midfielder, and... Uh, Yanis Hadji. It's just that was the game over then. I mean, Van Bronkos. If they start, if they can start by not making subs that poor, <laughs> then that's the start. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's quite as massive a job, and I don't think Rangers are quite in as much of a crisis mm-hmm. as people are saying. It's not good, but they are still four points clear. They still have a good chance. They play a, they've got a big game on Thursday, and it's quite a tough game to have your first one in when such with such massive stakes. There's a lot there. If you can just find the hunger in some of the players or drop some of the players, because there's depth there. You can drop Tavernier if you don't think he's got playing with the hunger and put Patterson in. Goldson's a bit harder. We're kind of struggling with centre backs, but yeah. there's there's tons and tons of options. Our bench yesterday was as strong as I've ever seen it. It just didn't work out. Yeah. Like, just, like it just didn't play. No one really played well. Hibs played really well and deserved their win. But there's like lots to work with for Brango for Gio uh, Van Bronckhorst. Yeah, uh, turn it back on to Hibs boys in terms of uh, managers because I'm quite interested to hear uh, both of your perceptions on Jack Ross after this game because I think Jack Ross's job at Hibs is always under scrutiny uh, especially in these big games I mean there was calls for him to be effectively lynched when he lost the cup final last year at St Johnston uh, and uh, that hasn't really disappeared over the last few months or so so Actually, for him to get go to hand and get a result against Rangers like this, has that do you reckon swayed anyone back onto his side, or there's still like doubt in the air surrounding Jack Ross, and is he still going to be under the same level of scrutiny? I mean, you guys will know better than I, kind of more entrenched in the Hibs camp. So, Struan, what do you reckon? I mean, is he kind of winning people back on side after kind of everything that's contributed to this? I mean, the month off and nobody knowing who was fully fit and everything like that, and kind of. A fairly big risk in starting someone like Josh Campbell in this game, the young kid in midfield as well. I mean, it kind of seemed to pay off. So what? where, where, where do you stand and where do you see the Hibs fan base standing on this? I've always been fond of Jack Ross. I mean, J- Jack, you and I were on doing a football roundup live when he actually got announced when, <laughs> yeah. uh, when Hecky got sacked. And I remember how excited I was at the time because I didn't think Hibs would get a manager of that calibre in the way we did. And, and there's definitely been some rough patches. But I mean, the final of the Premier Sports Cup he made it to the final of the Scottish Cup last season. Fair enough, he did lose in the end to St. Johnston and got beaten in the semi-finals of the Premier Sports last season as well. But, you know, in the last three cup competitions, it's made it to the final twice in the semi-final. That's good. Last season was third place, the highest finish since 2005. I think he's done well. I mean, when you look at the defensive options he's working with as well at times, it's hard to really put the blame on him. Blame on him, rather, sorry. I think there definitely are criticisms. There's no doubt about that. You know, the, was it was a four-game losing streak before the whole COVID outbreak. It wasn't great at all, but... You know, I think he is a good manager. I like Jack Ross. I don't think he should be sacked anytime soon by any stretch of the imagination. You know, you look at things like Chris Muller coming in as well. Obviously, that signing got delayed. It's mm-hmm. absolutely massive for a manager. And Jack Ross has said himself that six months' time, you know, it may not seem like a lot to a fan, but to a manager, that's a massive period in which so much can go on, so much yeah. can happen. You know, we've seen managers hired and sacked within that kind of time period. So it's it really is a big one. And I, I think he's doing well, to be honest. I... I think this game hopefully has, you know, gotten him a bit more credit in the bank. Obviously, it was a semi-final, but also beating a team like Rangers, the current champions, you know, it's absolutely massive in that sense. Fair enough, they didn't have a manager, but yeah. it's it's a massive victory, to be honest. It's one that, you know, a lot of players, Martin Boyle said yesterday, it's up there with one of the best moments in his career so far, and then hopefully it's up there for a lot of Hibs fans' experiences with the club, and perhaps it, it may go on to a Premier Sports Cup at the end of it. Potentially, still got one more game to go. Of course, uh, Callum, what about yourself? Where do you stand on Jack Ross after yesterday's game? Um, personally, I was always kind of like, obviously, immediately after the four, after each of the four losses, it was like, right, get him out, get him out. Emotional reactions and all that. Mm-hmm. But when you like, yeah, took a step back, took us to third. Obviously, the final and semi-finals last year, another final this year. Obviously, we got beaten last year, but when you like think, what well, that's runners up and fourth and all that in the country, so it's not too bad. His general big game, like big game against Celtic and Rangers, record wasn't great up until yesterday. That's the main sort of stick that the 
the fans who wanted him out were beating him with. But certainly I've seen loads on Twitter just apologising to him, saying mm. that they completely proved them wrong. He got it spot on yesterday. Um, even he was saying, he was asked in his interview, it's like, did you expect your tactics to work quite as good as that? And he said, absolutely not. But we'll completely take that. Um, but no, yeah, I think it always feels like Hibs are always one loss away from a crisis. Mm. As soon as we lose a game, it's never just we were beaten on the day. It's always there's some kind of um, incompetence with the manager. It's not the, not just with Jack Ross. It was uh, Neil Lennon. Kind of Neil Lennon when he was here was kind of half the support wanted him, half didn't right from the beginning. Right, yeah. But um, just generally, every and we couldn't just get beaten by a better team or have a have a poor game. There was always some kind of underlying corruption at the club that had to be sorted out or whatever. Um, so no, yeah, I think yesterday we'd, we'll go some way to hopefully sort of making some supporters have a think about potentially like not calling for the manager's head so quickly after every loss. Um, but obviously we could, four weeks time when we play Celtic, it could be a different story if I'm sitting here after we've been beaten. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, move on to that other semi-final now, of course, Saturday. saw St Johnson's reign in the Scottish League Cup come to an end uh, at the hands of Ange Postecoglou's Celtic, with James Forrest scoring the only goal of the game to send Celtic through to the final. Now, Graham, appearances at Hamden have, come, have kind of been a bit of a regular occurrence for uh, the Perser Saints over the last 12 months or so, and this was the first opportunity that they had to play at Hamden in front of their own fans. This was the first time the Saints fans could get to Hamden, if I'm right, over the past 12 months or so. So a really good opportunity for them to cheer on their team. Unfortunately, it didn't go the way they wanted in the end, but for a team like St Johnston to be able to kind of get back to Hamden once again and for the last 12 months the fans of the team and Callum Davidson can be massively, massively proud of the club and the team, surely. Yeah, of course they can. I mean, they've had an absolutely incredible achievement within two cups. No team outside of Rangers or Celtic or even fucking outside the Celtic at this point <laughs> uh, are going to win a cup, are going to get a cup double in their lifetime and look, Never, it's not going to happen again. So mm. there's a huge difference. I think we all knew on Saturday that the odds are stacked against them more than they have been, given how they've performed this season and how Celtic have performed this season. But you never wrote them off like going into the not, game because of and it took a long time for Celtic to get through. They got a bit luck, bit of luck with the goal as well. Celtic, mm. I mean, they followed as they deserved to go through in the end. But I, they can be proud of what they've done. They can be proud of their performance on Saturday because they really held on, held on for a long time, and it's just a legendary club achievement. No, absolutely. I just from my uh, understanding of the game, it just St. Johnson were really good. It makes it just seem so stuffy and so stifled for what Celtic's play was. And obviously, Celtic kept I think eighty percent of possession in the match. I think the fight the final stat was, but St. Johnson made it very very difficult for them to do anything with it of anything of consequence anyway. Yes, yeah, St Johnson have been known. That's what they've been known for. They've been an incredibly stuffy team. It's just the personnel's changed, so they yeah. can't hold out. And more importantly, I think they can't get out as as, as well. Oh, no, obviously Alan McCann's gone. He was the outstanding player in their team, and he was there out. Well, the amount of times that Alan McCann could bring it out from the defence mm-hmm. when he used to counter attack, he started counter attacks. Mm-hmm. Was it was most of the attacks, and well, they had a well, they'd have spits and farts where they could get forward on Saturday. It is harder for them to get out, and, and especially against a Celtic team. The Celtic team that just like, possession is everything. Like they dominate the balls like pretty much on almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Struan, of course, this uh, semi final came just six days after the tragic passing of Bertie, all the Celtic legend, and he once described Hampden Park as a training ground for Celtic, considering how often they seem to frequent the National Stadium. Uh, but they were really made to kind of work hard for this victory, as as we said. But do do we kind of give credit to Celtic for eventually breaking St. Johnson down, or perhaps criticise them for not being able to use the ball more effectively? As I said, with eighty percent of possession, or is it a combination of the two? I think it's a combination of the two. You know, it was only a one 0 victory in the end. I, I should say as well, previously on St. Johnson, I think just saying the sentence that St. Johnson's cup run has come to an end just sums up how special it was last season the fact Definitely. that sentence is actually getting issued but um, yeah I mean the Celtic have got one of the best front threes probably the best front three in Scotland at the moment 
We've seen under Postacoglu that scoring goals has been no issue. Keeping them out, however, has been a bit more tricky. And they did keep a clean sheet in this game. I mean, St. Johnson haven't exactly been free scoring this season either. But I think they were definitely made to work for it. There was, what, six yellow cards from a St. Johnston point of view as well. It was a bit of a scrappy game in that sense. Mm. Out of the two semi-finals, as a neutral, from, well, I presume a neutral watching the two semi-finals, the Rangers-Hibernian one was far better on the eye because the, the Celtic one just wasn't up to the standards. I, it was a really nice tribute as well. I should say all the players were in the number 10 on their shorts, obviously, mm, and tribute yeah. a very old. And oh, it's quite fitting that they, they did go on to win it in the end. With uh, James Forrest, you know, I just, I just spoke about how good the front three has been this season. He's going to have some job in his hands actually getting back into the yeah. side. But scoring in a big game like that is, is definitely one way you can go about doing it. I didn't realise James Forrest was 30 at this point. Oh, it's ridiculous. Was he 1991 he was born? Yeah. <sighs> That's terrifying. That's, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? It's a sign we're all getting far too old, boys. That's what, that's what it is. It's just really, really upsetting. But uh, it wasn't upsetting for Celtic on Saturday. That's all that matters. Uh, Callum, that does set up the, the another class between Celtic and Hibs. Uh, I think the 19th of December, if I'm right, the Saturday. Or the Sunday, actually. Uh, and the last class between the two went horrendously for Hibs. I, I was at the game myself and... Uh, it really was an uncomfortable watch for the Hibs' perspective. Celtic were just rampant uh, on their trip to Leith. I mean, obviously the final's a while away and a month is a long time in football, but is there any initial anxiousness towards the fixture or is it just going to all kinda go away for that rush of uh, unbridled optimism on the day of the final itself? Um, yeah, so obviously the last meeting is fresh in the mind. I'm being the, the last game before the, the break or the well, the COVID break. Um so yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, they did. They just blew us away that time. Um you just can't give them that much space and time to to do what we let them do and then they just what three nil up straight away or whatever. Um and then last time we played them at Hamden, albeit that was like Paul Heckenbottom era ages ago. They beat us five two. Um so it's not Cel Hibs and Celtic and Hamden, recent memories not great, but yeah, four weeks' time, I'll just be blind optimism that we're going to do it once again. <laughs> what a Christmas present that would be for the for the Hybees, should they get a result. And the final, we'll be looking forward to that one here on Energy Sport, of course. Uh, it wasn't just the semi-finals that played out over the weekend, though. There was, of course, some league action in the cinch up and down the divisions. And we'll start with Motherwell to Hearts nil. I'm not necessarily sure I expected this one coming into this weekend. But a massive, massive win for the Sealmen over the Jambos with goals from Connor Shields and Ricky Lamy sealing the three points. Soon a very, very impressive afternoon from uh, Graham Alexander's side. Yeah, definitely. And Motherwell have been very good this season. They had a bit of a blip a few weeks ago, but they seem to be back on track now. And, and handing Hearts their second defeat only this season in the league is, is absolutely massive for them. Yet, yes, Taylor Moore getting sent off has, has definitely helped with that one. But... Yeah, they've been good, and I think what's interesting about this is the fact that neither Tony Watton nor Kevin Van Veen were actually involved in the goals themselves, which is probably a positive in the mm. sense because obviously those two have been excellent, and we're seeing goals come from other areas. And of course, Sean Goss, formerly of um, Rangers and Man United, I think got both assists, if I'm right in saying. So it's it's good to see the impact that he's potentially making again. As again, well, I say again, I don't think he ever <laughs> did make an impact prior to this, but making a good impact at Motherwell, and yeah, they're doing really well under Graham Alexander. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Graham, switching to the other side of things for Hearts, a fairly poor afternoon for Robbie Nielsen's side. So much so that, of course, social media was flooded with calls for Robbie Nielsen to be sacked. Just this was a couple of weeks after he put five past Tam Courts than the United, who themselves have been on a very impressive run so far this season. Just a very reactionary take in the in the fallout of a of a fairly poor away trip to uh, Fir Park. And the same thing happened in the play played Aberdeen as well. It's just kind of. I mean, Cal talked about it with Joe Woodward at Ross after four losses. Football fans are fickle at the end of the day. And if you do bad, people want you. People were calling for Stephen Gerrard to be sacked before he left. It just that's what happens when you do you do bad, especially in this country where football is pretty much everything. Mm. I mean, I think on the football pitch, to be honest with you, it's been coming for a heart. So you look at the first like kind of set of fixtures, and although they were undefeated, uh, Craig Gordon made the most saves in the league. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. clear that they were being put under a fair amount of pressure. It's just that Gordon's an outstanding keeper. He managed to keep them, get them, like win them so many points. Gordon's still amazing, but uh, 
but you can't sustain that. At some point, people are going to put more goals past you by giving them the opportunities. And I think that's just what's happening right now. I mean, Motherwell were excellent. They've, uh, their issue and their bad run is it felt like they were being too passive. They were giving teams like 60-70% of possession and not just Celtic and Rangers. I think it happened in a couple of other games they played. On Saturday, they were aggressive and put Hearts under pressure. Hearts, like, winced under that pressure and that's what got Motherwell their deserved win. Absolutely. Uh, another kind of big clash between... Dundee United and Aberdeen played out with Dundee United taking all three points thanks to Ian Hark's 80th minute strike for another victory for Tam Court's Arabs. But it wasn't the goals and it wasn't the play that was at, uh, at under scrutiny most. It was the refereeing. And uh, we've already said, we say a lot on this, uh, on this show and on these shows on Energy Sport that we don't like to really bogged down on refereeing decisions all too much, but considering how widespread this one refereeing decision was to dismiss uh, Funso Ojo, send him a set, show him a second yellow card just before half-time for being pushed by a fan after kind of being nudged into the stands and just trying to retrieve the ball. The fan obviously pushes him and then... So can someone who who was the referee actually? I, I didn't. Uh, Bobby Madden, Mister Madden. Of course it was. Uh, Bobby Madden shows him a second yellow for being pushed by a fan, and he's dismissed. Just a bit ludicrous, wouldn't we say? Anyone feel free to just give an opinion here because I feel like we've all kind of seen it, and standard we've all standard Bobby Madden. Standard Bobby saying. Madden. Because not... I remember when we we played. What was it? Kilmarnock or something a couple of months ago and we were through on goal one-on-one and then a Kelly player pulled up with a, a hamstring completely off the ball nowhere near anyone and he just stopped the game completely so that was a weird decision but this one topped it because I, I was I was at Sterling against Edinburgh City and I was listening to open all mics and Richard Gordon was going on about how um, Ojo had been well sent off second yellow for being assaulted and I was like aye right fair enough let's see that and then I watched sports scene and I was like he's spot on he literally got pushed and then took a step forward as you would be your natural reaction and then got booked like what Mm. I think what was it Stephen Glass came out and said by the letter of the law because he took the step forward Madden was right to show the second yellow but he didn't even. He, he literally didn't make a motion to even go back at the guy. He just put himself back to where he was. It wasn't even antagonistic. It was just a wild, wild decision. Graham, what were you? What were you gonna contribute? To I was that just gonna there? say that I think it's quite a dangerous precedent, like yellow card. Like I feel like we're pretty sane football fans in this podcast group here right now. But there are football fans out there that will look at that and say, "Well, I can push a player." Yeah. And the only thing that will happen is I can get. I can get them booked or get them sent off. So I kind of wonder if there are people out there that are going to be like, I can see my opportunity. I'm going to help my club. I'm going to get us. I'm going to get us an advantage. So I think that's a dangerous precedent that's been set by that. I hope that it's a one-time thing. It's happened before in Scotland, and it's been dealt with in the correct manner. It was mm. just dealt with incorrectly on Saturday. Absolutely. Uh, before we move on to the big news in England, uh, just a quick roundup of the Scottish Championship because once again it continues to prove itself as the best league in the world with the top five currently separated by just two points while one point splits the bottom five. It was a massive win for our broth away at Kelly over the weekend uh, with Anton Dowd's 85th minute winner moving Dick Campbell's boys two points away from the summit. But I couldn't really enjoy it because... As always, Ayr had to go and ruin my weekend. They get absolutely gubbed off Yogi Hughes and Fermlin, who are up to sixth after two wins on this spin. Wasn't happy this weekend with uh, with uh, Ayr United, as I've not been for a number of weekends now, but that's nothing new. And Graham, the now self-proclaimed Kilmarnock fan at points as well, is really lapping up my misery, as he, as he tends to do. He's taken after Sean in that aspect, so congratulations. Uh, I'm sad. Well, Mike Kelly also lost on Saturday to the Campbell's men, so uh, not a good week for me and the bo- me and the Kelly boys. That's for sure. Not a good week for you. There was one place that you you were happy to see your team perform, but we'll get onto them just shortly because if we're going to be doing any Premier League coverage, we need to start with 
the sixth managerial sacking in the top flight in England this season. Trivia, name another five. No. Steve Bruce, I'll stop there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. Daniel Farker. Steve Bruce, no, no, Daniel Farker, Dean Smith, who then got another job later on, whoever was the Watford manager. Was was it it Zisco? Zisco? Something like that. And Ollie, is that the six? Was there one missing there? Maybe one missing. Oh, well, I didn't really Smith, plan like myself. I don't know. Well, I mean, I the, sixth, the sixth is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. There you go. Mm-hmm. Because he's away. He's, he's finally, he's been booted from the driver's seat at Manchester United after far too long driving the bus along a long, treacherous and unstable road. Uh, an embarrassing 4-1 defeat at the hands of Claudio Ranieri's Watford being the final straw. He's, he's become a bit of a grim reaper in the Premier League, Claudio Ranieri. It was... Uh, very poor defeat for Jose Mourinho's Chelsea against uh, Ranieri's Leicester that saw him get the sack in his last time, his last spell at the uh, West London club. And this one saw Solskjaer given the boot. Now, I, f- I feel like it's quite opportune that we have both Struan and Callum on, both uh, Manchester United fans themselves, so we can kind of get both uh, opinions for this. So we've got a fair few questions on Solskjaer to get through, but uh, just want to gauge initial reaction. So, Struan, you wake up. And you see, once once your day started at like five o'clock in the morning because you're a psychopath, whatever it is, and news breaks, Solskjaer's away. Initial reaction. Um, it's about time in that sense. Do you know when you first see it, you you are kind of taken aback because Solskjaer genuinely just looked inevitable. It did not look like he was going to be sacked, even when you know, a, a, a hammering defeat to Aston Villa, albeit 1-0, a, a thumping by Leicester, whatever the Liverpool result was, then the Man City game. Then you have a two-week international period in which nothing takes place, in which you assume, OK, yeah, he's just going to be staying. This would be the time to sack him, and they don't. And then after a 4-1 defeat to Watford, which in itself is a sackable offence, he then goes, and the club are now in a bit of a turmoil trying to find a, a new manager. But it's it's been on the cards for a long time, this, this situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we got a new... Extension in the summer to 2024, the transfer window was good, it's just it's just not been a good season whatsoever for Solskjaer, things have gotten, Warwick Davis will be happy because things had just gotten untenable to be honest with Man United. <laughs> good, very good. <laughs> I didn't expect that from you there, Stuart, that was, that was nice. Uh, Callum, how about yourself, I mean, was it, was it the same kind of reaction of thank god he's finally away or was it just a wee, a wee bit of kind of graduation goggles behind it like oh, oh we'll miss him when he's gone or was it just a case of getting him out as soon as possible um, yeah pretty much the same as true and it was just about time um, it's been been a long time coming and it was like coming for the last couple of weeks on and off the cards but yeah I think after it when you've seen his interview with um, Man United TV and he was getting emotional. Then you kind of think, you feel a bit sorry mm-hmm. for him. Club club legend that he is. Um, but no, I think, obviously, the results are the most important thing. Greater than sentiment. So, yeah, the, the right decision. I wanted to talk about that MUTV interview because I saw that come out and I saw the tweet that said, our final interview, our farewell interview with the gaffer. That's weird to me that they actually did that. I mean, would they have done the same with... Uh, I, th- I couldn't imagine what they would have done for a farewell interview for David Hopkins at air this season. Like, I think it just would have been a tirade of, did you actually understand what the fuck you were doing at this club? And his answer would be no. It, so, would, be, it would be like, do you know that you can play passes along the ground? In <laughs> it would be, what? <laughs> <laughs> he would have a heart attack because he just never heard anything as, as mind-blowing in his life. The ground? <laughs> well, there's no ground in football, it's all dominated in the air. Uh, <laughs> tiny team as well, but I d- I don't know from like I, from a Man United fan perspective was there any kind of validation towards it or was there any expectation that they would because obviously he's got the massive history with the club as a player and he obviously really cares about the club you could see that and what he was kind of how he was reacting when he was getting emotional and things like that I mean it could, it takes a fairly decent guy to actually stand up and kind of put himself out there like that but I don't know for me it was just odd that the club would even facilitate that and put that out because that had to be premeditated you have to think they would have recorded that at some point over over the over the two days and just say mate you're, you're away what do you want to talk about it just is weird to me it was reported by andy mitten that apparently Solskjaer had asked for that um personally he'd wanted to, was to that right? have a message of goodbye yeah so he 
it was Sosha's idea apparently to make that video and at first I did think it was strange because I thought hang on you've just sacked the guy and two hours later you're bringing up a video of him saying goodbye you know you never see that in football but at the same time after he was sacked you could see it clearly on social media there was far too much hate and just aggression aimed at him you know fair enough he wasn't good enough for the job there's absolutely no denying that but at the same time he was god that was it it can, it can end there but people were constantly belittling him and just slagging him rotten and I think it was almost a sense of a reminder like yeah okay just remember who Solskjaer was remember what he did for the club remember that at the end of the day all he had was the best interest of the club at his heart that's all he wanted you know he wasn't a bad guy he didn't do anything necessarily wrong I mean fair enough he did make some absolutely horrendous decisions on the touchline and some pretty ridiculous calls along the way but at the same time he only wanted the best for Man United and it didn't quite work out so I can I can understand it was pretty tough especially the bits where he gets emotional talking about Michael Carrick and yeah, yeah. and the future of the club and stuff like that and then he made a bit of a joke that the two times he's left Mulder they went on to win the league title so uh, no pressure on the next guy but I, c- I can I can completely understand you know if you if you think back to to Frank Lampard leaving Chelsea last season obviously Lampard is arguably Chelsea's biggest legend you know he's he's one of the biggest guys at the club and mm-hmm. there there was nothing in that sense there but it was it was strange. I think I think it was definitely a strange decision, but at the same time, I, I can understand it. Maybe that's just because I am a United fan. I can possibly understand it, you know, because I do like Solskjaer and I understand what he did for the club. Mm-hmm. But I think from the majority of football fans, the neutrals out there, it's sort of a, <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> why, why why is there a video? You've just sacked him and two seconds later, you're, you're making almost, it's almost like an apology video type thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely was unique and it's definitely going to be one of those moments that either gets memed, that gets clipped, or we look back on in the, in the 2020-21 season of, sorry, 21-22 season of mm. when Solskjaer got sacked. Do you remember when they released that 10-minute video straight after it? It's almost like an in memoriam video. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, was, it was like a video eulogy for Solskjaer's time at Man United. It was. That's what it felt like because normally when a manager gets sacked, they don't. You don't see them at the club. They don't appear for games. They don't speak, do interviews or anything no. like that. I think Jose Mourinho was about two years until or after he'd been sacked from Man United, appearing on Sky and various other platforms that he actually commented on his time at the club and stuff like that. Mm. So it was. It was definitely different. Definitely unique. And if a manager leaves, you would potentially see like a statement from them on the social media saying, like, oh, I really appreciate the time, really appreciate the fans that supported, but I don't know, club channels just made it, oh, it was it was a maybe, weird Maybe weird give thing me, for me that to over the classic PR Twitter statements that we'll bounce back, time to roll our sleeves up, we go again this weekend, all that. Oh, they're all horrid. That maybe, they, they are unbelievably maybe it's manufactured. Maybe better the, the guy doing it right <laughs> <laughs> the amount of messages that you just see during it. And I think the funniest one was that Bruno Fernandes, obviously the person who runs his Twitter account, runs Gabriel uh, Martinelli's as well. Yeah. And after one of the defeats, put something like good vibes up or something like that. I did see that, actually. That was, that was a good laugh. Uh, I suppose, Callum, attention now turns to who Man United get into the place because I think it's Carrick and Fletcher that are taking over and just on a, on a caretaker basis at the moment. But I think that the... the uh, idea is to potentially get someone in on an interim basis and then appoint someone full time in June or July or over the, over the next summer which again poses the question if United knew they were going to go down this road why didn't they do it over the international break do it a month ago and they could have potentially tempted Conte into coming because I think if I'm Antonio Conte I'd be more interested in the prospect of managing Manchester United than I would have been Tottenham but Tottenham were the ones that actually pulled the plug and went for him quicker so they actually had the wherewithal to go and get their get the most attractive kind of option for them at that point in time and he was certainly one for United that they would have been considering so where do you think United go from this point I mean names that have kind of been talked about in terms of permanently you've got the likes of Pochettino uh, Eric Ten Hag Ajax of course Struan I know he'd be a massive massive fan of that appointment but on an interim basis it's names like Steve Bruce that are getting cropped up in the conversation yeah Steve Bruce what was it he came out and he said he would stabilise the dressing room and all that Aye, it's, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a bit weird that they're, like, because they're saying, what, they have Carrick and Fletcher leading it for the next few games, and then they'll bring in someone else until they get their long-term appointment until this, in the summer or whatever. But it's whoever comes in in this interim position will be mindful that Solskjaer was just given the job after doing well um, in an interim position as well. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they get. Obviously, I think what was it Sky were reporting Pochettino is a favourite. He's in Manchester this week anyway, so maybe two birds, one stone. Um, 
who knows? But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I just think it's again a bit strange that they're they've got this like double plan on mm. how they're gonna how they're gonna do it because clearly, like Solskjaer leaving, obviously it's only just happened yesterday, but it's been on the cards for a while. So you would think they could have put a pan, put a plan in place, and as you say, international break they would have had would have had time to to get that in motion. I suppose at this point I've also got the question: Where does United season go from here? I mean, what can they realistically do to kind of salvage some sort of successful... I'm, I'm wary of the fact that uh, you would call it a successful season because it doesn't really seem to be pointing in that direction at the moment. But based on the squad of players available and the kind of play style that United have been employing, I mean, De Gea was making some wild comments after the Watford loss. I think he was saying they just don't know what to do with the ball. They don't know how to defend. I don't, I don't know. It's... It, for me, I don't really know if there can really be any semblance of success for United this season. So I suppose, Struan, what do they now do to put out as many fires as they can going into the summer window, you would have to say? Uh, throw away the season and give us Steve Bruce for six months. That's the dream. Um, I don't think there's much Man United can do this season, in, in all honesty. I think a top four finish would probably be success by the Glazers. In, in the Glazers' eyes, but overall, I just you, the Premier League title is already gone. City, Chelsea, and Liverpool are the only three teams competing for that. Obviously, the League Cup is completely gone. The FA Cup is, doesn't really have the same shine that it used to. Potentially, they could go for that. Champions League is, is definitely out of the equation as well. So it's it's a matter of rebuilding. I think the shame is coming into this season when you look at that squad, and obviously it is the same squad now. That team is capable of winning the big things. You would say on paper, you know, that is a very very strong squad, and it's just. It's just not playing in that sense at all. And and I mentioned that top four would be a success in the Glazers' eyes. Even looking at it now, I think you've only got one spot up for grabs the way the other teams are playing. And Man United are competing against Tottenham, who have just brought in Antonio Conte. You expect a resurgence there. David Moyes' West Ham, who are absolutely flying. And Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, who are doing pretty well as well. And they, the same as West Ham, don't have any Europe to worry about at all. So they can mm. put their entire focus on the league. So I think even getting top four... West Ham and Europa know, League. Sorry? West Ham in Europa League. Oh, West Ham in the Europa League. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so Arsenal, Arsenal are without European football. God, that's crazy, isn't it? West Ham in uh, Europa, but um, qualified on it yeah. as well. I think even though that we're only in November, I think that top four looks difficult as well. It's it's a tough situation. I think it's it does show you know how poorly Manchester United are run that there isn't a clear plan. You know, if you look at Chelsea last season when they frank uh, they franked Lampard when they sacked Lampard. <laughs> no, but seriously. Yeah, no, but seriously, they uh, they had Tuchel lined up immediately quite often when Liverpool did it with Brendan Rodgers. Jurgen Klopp was there. It was a it was an easy situation. Man United currently are looking at all these different options. I think for me, I think Pochettino is probably the best one at the moment. There's talk that he would leave PSG halfway through the season, which is a bit crazy, but mm. not really given PSG. But yeah, a successful season, <sighs> top four finish, maybe the FA Cup. Looking at it now, it's it's a difficult one to call really. No, I completely understand that. Uh, Graham, did you have any thoughts on this sacking at all? I mean, we, we <laughs> nice, to, nice for the listeners to know you are still here, I suppose, considering it's been a uh, strewn and Callum fest for the last 10 minutes or so. Uh, mostly, I quote the guys have saying, uh, deserve to go. I thought, my understanding with the interim stuff in the season was that that would be because they would go for uh, Ten Hag in the summer. Cause I know Ten Hag's been spoken in a vocal that uh, he doesn't like he doesn't really want to join a club mid-season. He wants to be given like the full summer when he moves jobs. So I thought that maybe what like the plan was there. But if they can get Pochettino now, I think they would go for that. I guess the other thing that as I've said before is that I don't think the Man U squad is near as good as people say it is. I think there's lots of gaping holes in that team still. And when you include like you also now include like the terrible form of people like Maguire and Shaw. I just I I like. I'm not going to get top three. Those three teams are clear of them. Top four should still be. Uh, should be writing that off. That should be a guarantee. That's like they're better. They do a better squad in the teams around them in that one. So they should be getting that. But like, the season is mostly written off for them. I think I'd have to agree with you on that. Uh, we'll keep with you, Graham, because we'll move away from United and speak about your boys, Liverpool. Oh, give you a, give you some happiness to, for this weekend, considering your Rangers and your Kelly both lost. Mm-hmm. Liverpool did not. Liverpool were outstanding in the four 0 win over Arsenal. I mean, you said you said at the same time though Arsenal weren't good in this game, uh, but I suppose it's quite easy considering how well Liverpool were playing to have that come across that way. So how how did you view the game on a uh, Sunday night? Was it Sunday night? No, it was Saturday, Saturday night, after, my mistake. Saturday evening. Yes. Uh, well, 
I think part of it is Liverpool were good, Arsenal were really bad, but it's because Liverpool made Arsenal look bad. Arsenal are a very young team still, and I think that the naivety of the situation, the inexperience maybe cost them a lot in this game. And you look at, for example, you look at the second goal and Tavares just puts it into Diogo Jota. But that kind of goal was a summation of what I thought was good about Liverpool's play, which is that this is the best they've pressed all season by far. Especially when they came out for the second half, it was just relentless. I mean, Tavares gives the ball away to Jota, but it's, they gave, they'd given the ball away three or four times already in the first five minutes and a half. And the game was over as soon as Jota scored. And I said this about Arsenal, and I, I say again that people overreacted to how good their, how bad their start was. They had the tough games and they had COVID issues. And I think now people have overreacted to how good Arsenal have been in mean, sneaking wins against Norwich and Watford isn't that impressive and this was their first real test and I don't think anyone really expected expected them to come and win this game but at least put up a bit of a fight and they were completely impotent they, they offered no threat at all from pretty much the majority of this game and they were well beaten at Anfield like they're always well beaten at Anfield mm-hmm. I think I saw a stat that said uh, they've been beaten by four goals like six times at Anfield now in the Premier League year or something like that which is up crazy stat given how good Arsenal have been in the Premier League era but it was just it was they were outclassed by a world, one of the world class teams in Europe on Saturday that was the kind of simple aspect of it yeah no I completely agree with you mate to be honest I mean just watching that it was really men against boys to be honest from what I could see just a really really dominant performance from Liverpool and I, I said it again uh, I can't remember if I said it on AR or if I said it in our group chat I'm very very glad that Chelsea played Liverpool early in the season where they were still kind of working out uh, some of their some, some of their kind of shortcomings and Chelsea were able to put up a decent performance against them and get the one all draw considering I would not want to play this Liverpool just now I don't, I don't know what it's been but they've just really stepped up since the early start of the season I don't know if there's been any one identifiable factor Graham that you can point to for this kind of change to Liverpool or if it's just they were just slow to get started uh, I'd probably just go as simple as Mo Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold have been like maybe the two best players in the league this season so far I mean Mo Salah's been probably the best player in the world and just the form of those two players everything good comes down our right hand side and even though Sadio Mane's got I think seven league goals he's been a bit off for a lot this season he doesn't seem quite like himself but Salah and Trent it's just incredible what they do at game in game out just the set they provide poor t- honestly poor Tavares on Saturday because just if it's not Salah and Salah's going inside you've got Trent going on the outside yeah. and he's delivering an absolute mean ball there was a tactical times put out like a stat sheet of Trent's passing stats and in the, 90, the top 99% of like almost it every passing stat in world it? football is genuinely unbelievable it's a generational player that's just at the top of his game and when he's at the top of his game there's just there's, you can't stop him and the same with Salah so that would for me that's what the kind of big like difference when we're good has been this season I mean it's not always been good this, this was only our third win in seven games in the league which is kind of funny to say but going forward we look amazing yeah no you really do Uh, i just kind of wrap up with the other kind of big notes in the Premier League it wasn't the most impactful Premier League weekend uh, but there were still some kind of points to mention Steven Gerrard getting his first win in what was a fairly poor game against Brighton a 2-0 win for Aston Villa goals come from Watkins and Mings so good for him I suppose getting his first win down and Birmingham with Villa, Chelsea winning away to Leicester. I was buzzing with this one because N'Golo Kante scored an absolute belter of a goal and I love that man like he's my own son, which says a lot that I don't even have a son and I'm loving Kante like he's one of them. Uh, I, I was I was a slightly apprehensive going into that game because I, Leicester are just a bit of a mixed bag this season. They, they're, they can be really good, they can be awful and thankfully we got the latter on sun, Saturday lunchtime, I should say. Uh, Rudiger scoring the first, Kante scoring the second, and then Christian Pulisic getting a goal, which I was really happy to see for him for his confidence and potentially getting him back into the team a bit more and a good confidence booster going into Juventus tomorrow night in the Champions League. Two three threes, by the way, in the Premier League this weekend. Did it, would anyone have had Burnley Crystal Palace as a three three thriller? Crystal Palace are so much fun under Patrick Vieira compared to what they were under Roy Hodgson. Watching them, I would never have had this game. 
I think Graham, you said in the chat, I didn't have this penciled in to be fantastic, and and it was. And I, <laughs> Burnley scoring three goals as well is pretty, it's pretty sensational. But um, yeah, I I like Palace at the moment. This Paddy Vera's still a dork though, because he's not playing. Elise, he's not playing Edward. He's easy still coming back from injury. He's not playing them all on the same team. He's still sticking with uh, Benteke and Ayu. Granted, Benteke scored two goals on uh, on Saturday, so there might be method to the madness, but still doesn't discount the fact he's not playing his most fun players, which he really needs to. If he's listening, and we all know everyone in the Premier League listens to this show, Paddy V, get get all the boys on the pitch and keep playing Conor Gallagher because he's excellent, even though he chose England over Scotland. Newcastle-Brentford as well as 3-3. Who, who, I mean, I mean, we talk about Burnley scoring three goals. Newcastle scoring three goals, by the way. Joel Linton getting a goal. Joel Linton getting a goal. Newcastle have abandoned defending this season. It's quite great. It's great for us to watch, but it's bad for Newcastle because they're bottom, bottom of the league. They're so. bad. <laughs> so that's that. Jamal Lascelles getting a goal for both teams. In that game. I did not realise he scored an own goal in that game. I knew he scored for Newcastle. I didn't realise he scored an own goal as well. That's quite funny. Tony scored. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts yeah. on Premier League this weekend, folks, just before we can... Uh... I have to shout out Jack Hansel's pass for Sterling's opener for Man City oh, after the North win. Beautiful. Just outside of the boot, absolute perfect, inch-perfect pass. I thought yeah. that was very notable. You see the angle, uh, the the back, the behind Cancelo angle, just, uh, mm. oh, beautiful. Rodri's finish yeah. as well is pretty shit-hot. Yeah, I didn't expect mm-hmm. that from him, you know. Well, I mean, I, when he does score, he scores belters, doesn't he? So, I suppose... When I saw his name pop up, I thought it was going to be from like twenty five yards. And nice, a nice game at Carrow Road for Scotland, with a yes, goal and a goal, two goals and an assist. And turns out Norwich are better with Billy Gilmore playing. Start Gilmore, get results. That is the campaign. We are all. We could all be managers of Norwich Football Club over Daniel Farker. It turns out. I still don't like the fact that I was criticised for calling him an idiot. Did Co- I back you? I think I backed you, but in a different way. I think you backed me in a different. You can You half backed me. I think Amy Canavan laughed at me. So, ha ha. How shall we wrap up? What do we want to talk about? Because we could talk about European ties, or we could have a look ahead to Friday. A brief look ahead to Friday, because we've got the draw for the World Cup. Uh, the World Cup 2022 in Qatar playoff semi-final. Scotland playing one of six teams. If I can remember them off the top of my head, I will. North Macedonia, Turkey, Ukraine, Czech Republic, Austria, or Poland. Yes. Just quickly, each of you, who do we want most, who do we want least? Callum, you've got your mic not muted, so we'll go to you first. Um, North Macedonia would not be too bad. Um, But, yeah, I suppose Poland... I don't know. To be to be honest, I would take anyone at this stage. I think because it's at Hamden, especially get the the full full capacity again. Just yeah, Scotland are in a good place. All the fans are behind them. Let's do it. Let's get to the final. Absolutely, mate. Uh, Graham, how about you? Yeah, North Macedonia. I think pretty clearly that the the weakest of those teams. I know they're also missing a couple of players for that semi final. The Napoli Wales match is definitely missing. Uh, so that's what I think Ukraine are probably the best team of the bunch in the in the non serious version. They like they were pretty stubborn. Didn't they win a lot of games in the qualifying group? I think they only lost once. I think they might. I'm not even sure they lost to France in any of the games they played. They have lots of match winners. They got Yaramchuk, Yarmolenko, Zinchenko. So I think they'd be the biggest threat. Although like mm-hmm. Callum, I'm with hand and and looking at these teams, I don't think there's any of them that we can't beat at home. I think all of them are beatable. I think I'm like you, Graham. I would love North Macedonia. I don't want Ukraine out a lot of them, but I'm dangerously optimistic about our chances against any of them. But you just know what it's been like in Hamden for the past few games. It's just been absolutely outstanding. And being back there again is going to be a special, special night. We can only hope. Struan, how about you? Uh, I'd like Poland. I think North Macedonia are definitely the easiest shout, to be honest, of all the opponents. But I'd, I'd take Poland, get to see Lewandowski, see Grant Hanley pocket him, and then take them from there obviously there's a bit of revenge as well from a qualifying campaign a few years back in terms of the worst team I'd be a little bit scared of Austria obviously we we beat them there and the fans were absolutely furious at them at the time I don't know if there'd be that point to prove with them to come to get a result against us and they'll most likely as well have Sabitzer back who who was out for the um the qualifying game there so I think I'd be a little bit hesitant of getting Austria was he out for the first game Sabitzer the two all I can't I don't think he put I don't think he put I gives on the bench actually 
Yeah, I don't seem no. to remember Colin playing against Scotland at all. Yeah, we got we got a two-all draw against them in an empty Hamden, so we'll beat them at a full Hamden. Easy days. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be this confident. I really shouldn't be this confident. But that's just the way Scotland are playing just now. Just the way we're feeling uh, about the national team, which is great, great to see. Uh, European action this week, of course. Big games in the Champions League. Chelsea Juventus tomorrow night should be quite good. Uh, Wednesday night, City PSG, Atletico Madrid versus Milan. Sheriff, the the eventual winners of this competition, are taking on Real Madrid. Excited for that one. Uh, and Scotland team, Scottish teams are back in action on Thursday in Europa League. Graham, any any thoughts on Rangers Sparta Prague? Oh, they're just as bad as us. They lost four 0 to a team I've ever heard of, so that's the only saving grace. Other than that, can't be arsed. Can't be arsed. Uh, Celtic playing away to Leverkusen on a Thursday night as well. Earlier kickoff, probably a dead rubber for the Celts, but you never know. Angie's got them playing a little bit better, so maybe sneak something. Potentially, who knows? We can only hope for coefficient FC that that is the case. Uh, on that, I think we are going to wrap ourselves up in case anyone's got final thoughts on anything at all. Going once, going twice, gone. Lovely. Uh, we're going to wrap up there. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Football Roundup by us here at Energy Sport. It's been a pleasure having you along with us for the last hour or so. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the Energy Sport podcast feed wherever you get yours to make sure new episodes show up automatically in your timeline. Follow us on the socials at ENRG Sport and of course head over to the award winning website energysport.net for even more outstanding sporting content from the students of Edinburgh Napier University. I want to say a massive thank you to Struan Garvey, Graham Sinclair and Callum Watt for joining me this afternoon. Extra time should be back on Thursday uh, provided that Sean and Cam aren't too busy. Uh, or well, I say Cam, Cam doesn't do anything anymore, does he? Uh, but until we see you next time, I've been Jack Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup by Energy Sport. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. <laughs>